If you enjoy the podcasts that we do here at Motorsport Magazine, let me tell you about our new sound archive. If you go to motorsportmagazine.com, you can find our new sound archive, and within that, you will find my Track Talk radio programs that I recorded on Radio Victory between 1977 and 1981. And once a month, we'll be releasing one of those Track Talk programs. And the next one, the very latest one, will take us back to the summer of 1977 when we go to the British Grand Prix at Silverstone and to the 24 hours of Le Mans. So tune in to Track Talk. Hear it all again. Maybe you heard it the first time round. If not, it's an absolute must. You'll find it at shop.motorsportmagazine.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P, dot motorsportmagazine.com. Right, now it's time to tell you about our Formula One season review for 2015. And it's available now from motorsportmagazine.com. This costs just $7.99, an absolute bargain for a, for a review of the entire 2015 Grand Prix racing season. You can get it at shop.motorsportmagazine.com. And our editor, Damien Smith, says in the introduction that nobody understands Formula One better than motorsport, as both an arena for sporting and technical excellence. And just as significantly, as far as we're concerned, from the perspective of what Grand Prix racing has meant to its millions of fans during the course of the past century. These reports are the result of 19 all-nighters, composed in the seclusion of modest hotel rooms in the hours of darkness after each Grand Prix from knowledge freshly trawled in frenetic Formula One paddocks. There are over 90,000 words. So don't miss the Motorsport Magazine Formula One season review for 2015. All the news, all the features, all the investigations from our man Mark Hughes at every single Grand Prix. Just $7.99 from shop.motorsportmagazine.com. Welcome everybody to another Motorsport Magazine podcast and uh, this is our last one of the year, just a few days before Christmas. And I hope you'll agree that we've saved the best till last because uh, so many people have been on the website saying, why can't you get Pat Simmons back? <laughs> well, there are various reasons like lots of Grand Prix and being in foreign countries all the time and trying to beat Mercedes-Benz and uh, lots of other little things he has to do. But anyway, he's here. Pat Simmons is here. And we're in the Ram pub in Chelsea. We thought it would be nice to come to the Ram because it's Christmas time. And, um, you know, we used, to, we used to have our office around the corner, but not anymore. Anyway, welcome, Pat. Thank you very much. Um, very nice to be here. Good, good. Now, look, um, we don't want to talk... F forever and ever about Mercedes-Benz and Hamilton and Rosberg because that's all everybody ever talks about and it all gets a bit ugh. but um, I want to ask you why can't anyone beat Mercedes-Benz and what are you 
going to do about it? Well, I could probably give you around 250 million answers, uh, each one costing a pound, and that, that might give you a clue. I see. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's a good short answer and a good explanation, I guess. But is that real? Are you saying to me that if I did give you two hundred and fifty million pounds, you could beat Mercedes Benz? No. To 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 be honest, that's a slightly light-hearted comment. But uh, there is, as always, some truth behind it. In that, you know, Formula One has got to a, a point now with these these enormous budgets and very restrictive rules where. Performance tends to come from attention to detail, and attention to detail in many different areas. Now, attention to detail is quite an expensive thing because you need people involved in it. You need, if you want to uh, pay attention to a lot of different areas, you need a lot of people. And um, I think if you look at Mercedes-Benz company accounts, which were published uh, just about six weeks or so ago, uh, you look at the number of people they've got, you look at the average salary, you know, they've, they've got some pretty clever people there working very hard. And they're working on these little details that, you know, at Williams, we, we have to be very, very attentive to our, uh, where we're going to put our effort in. You know, we, we, we have to cherry pick. Uh, we can't just sort of blanket hit everything and sort of accept that certain things aren't going to be fruitful. We just have to, <laughs> we, we have to work, a, a, I guess, a lot smarter than they do um, now I'm not taking anything away from them they're, they're a fabulous team and you know this level of domination uh, is impressive even if it's not terribly exciting for the fans but um, yeah, good luck to them and we, we'll just have to try a bit harder Is it more of a challenge than it was at Renault for you now? I mean because um, you, you haven't got a huge budget, you haven't got a huge number of people so it's a bigger challenge yes? No? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, 2005, 2006, when we won the, the championships at Renault, we had uh, about 500 people. We had uh, budgets that were larger then than they are now at Williams. And, of course, we weren't paying for, for, for engines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we could, we were well funded. We did have a lot of people. Um, we had a fabulous team spirit, all, all those sort of things, you know. Um, but yes, I think the answer, it w answer is it was a bit easier then than it, than it is now. Mark, have you got any more questions for Pat? You've obviously been talking to him for the last nine months, but anyway. Well, yeah, um, since we last spoke, um, since the last Grand Prix, uh, we've had confirmation that Renault's re-entering and has bought the Enstone team where you've spent about I don't know, 80, 90% of your work in life. Um, what do you think the, um, the prospects are in the immediate term and in the long term uh, for, for that team? Uh, the first thing I'd say is I'm just so pleased that, uh, that Enstone is surviving. You know, a, a large part of my heart's in that, that team, no matter what name's above the door. Uh, there's some great people there, a lot of them that I've worked with. Uh, really pleased to see it, um, to see it be carrying on, and whether it's a Renault name or whatever, I don't think that matters too much. Um, they've got a lot of work to do now. Enstone's a great facility. Uh, we built it in the 80s, I guess. I can't, can't even remember <laughs> myself. Seems a long while ago, but it, 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 yeah, I think it was late 80s. Put the wind tunnel in at the sort of just going into the 90s. A um, lot of good stuff there. A lot of good people. 
and now uh, I think a decent budget because I, I, I think Renault were talking about a 200 million euro budget. Now that's that's pretty damn good. You can go racing with that. Uh, but they've got to rebuild because unfortunately over the last few years for, for financial reasons the, the owners at Enstone um, have let a lot of good people go. Um, I don't think other than the simulator there's been, I can't imagine there's been much capital investment there. Um, you know, they've got a bit of rebuilding to do. First of all, getting people in and you know, so difficult in Formula One getting employees because everyone's on these long-term contracts and you have mm. to find the, the window to get them in. So they, they've got two, three years, I think, of, of rebuilding. Uh, and that's apart from, of course, uh, wherever the power unit might be in the, in the coming years. What was remarkable for a while, even after Renault pulled out, was how many layers of expertise that team seemed to have and that would still come up with a quick coming. You left, Bob Bell left, and then you thought, well, that's it's probably going to spiral downwards now. And then um, James Allison came up and he, he sort of led a good series of cars and then he left and it was still stayed respectable for a while. It, but it, do you think it's now got to the stage where there's too many layers have been peeled away for immediate success? Um, no, I think there's still some good people there. Um, now, yes, you're quite right. You know, I, I guess the sort of last uh, big technical lead was James. Um, looking at what he's doing at Ferrari, I mean, those of us who know him and have worked with him, there's no surprise in that. He's a he's a very clever guy. Um, he's a very intellectual guy. So he's not just a, a good. He's not just someone who knows how to make a racing car go fast. He he's got vision and intelligence. Um, I think that. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I guess Bob's back there at Enstone, so he, he can sort of pick up where he left off, and I'm sure he'll start knocking it into shape pretty pretty quickly. A good, strong season for Williams Mercedes this year, third in the Constructors' Championship. Um, from the out I mean, I've not been to so many races this year, but from the outside looking in, is Felipe Massa overperforming and Valtteri Bottas underperforming? Or, I mean, I don't expect you to sort of slug off one or the other of your drivers, but the, the, the general perception is that Valtteri is a champion for the future, but Felipe is quite often, you know, you'd, but you'd, you'd expect perhaps that Valtteri should give him a damn good kicking, but he hasn't. Now, is that, as I say, is that Felipe upping his game, Valtteri not, not quite performing, or where do you see it? I think it's Felipe upping his game. I, I think when, um, when we signed Felipe, really, not long after I'd got to Williams, um, at the end of 13, ready for the 14 season, I was very pleased that we'd signed him. I, I thought he was an excellent fit for the team in, in every way, you know, that sort of respectability, that rebranding that we were trying to do with the whole team. And my only fear was how he would react when Valtteri beat him, because, you know, I, I really had seen a little bit of Valtteri. I thought the guy was really, really good. I still think he's really, really good, but I guess my surprise is that in in reality, Felipe's a lot better than I thought. And you know, that just shows how transient we all are, aren't we? Because <laughs> in 2008, you know, he, he was, well, arguably he was world champion for five seconds yeah. or however you want to look at it. Um, you know, he, he was a, a strong contender all the way through that. Well, if, that if, he'd, if, he'd, if he'd won it that year, it would have been completely on merit. 
You could yeah, have taken absolutely uh, yes, on uh, that. Absolutely, and I, I think we'd all forgotten that because uh, since the accident in Hungary, you know, arguably, uh, although in retrospect I think it's coincidental, but, but arguably, you know, his performance had dropped a little bit. And what it needed was that sort of reinvigorating that I think he got from leaving Ferrari, coming to Williams, being in a, a team that really respected him, really liked him, really wanted him to get on. And uh, we saw that he was also pretty damn quick if you gave him the right conditions. Just coming back to budgets, Pat, something that struck me <coughs> towards the end of the year um, was the whole business with Felipe and the quote, overheated tyres, the controversy about all that. Um, and the fact that, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, Williams believed they were absolutely bang to rights, in the right, not a problem, but on purely financial grounds decided not to yeah, I, challenge I, it. And on top of that, if you got your points back, you know, that would also have bunged another god knows what on top of your About championship grand, yeah. yeah entry yeah. fee for next year yeah, yeah so I, I won't say it was, it was totally a sad on, situation i thought it, it is but it wasn't totally on financial grounds i mean you, you you have to understand that the the international court of appeal is populated by some pretty good legal brains and, and you you can't go in there living on your wits and you know i've been there a few times i've even won a case there which you know i think only <laughs> myself and ross have ever done yeah um, so you, you have to be prepared to go in there with pretty high-powered QCs, a very good case, uh, it takes a lot of preparation, takes a lot of effort. Um, and a lot of money. And a lot of money, and we didn't feel it was uh, particularly uh, good use of money. Um, I think if it happened in, at the beginning of the year, when we wouldn't have known whether the points were important or not, we'd, we'd have had to go for it. <laughs> but. You know, at the end of the year, we knew third place was secured. We didn't need to, to do any more. Um, and it was just a, a pragmatic solution. I felt a little bit aggrieved because by, by withdrawing that appeal, uh, I'm sure some people thought, oh, well, you know, maybe they were in the wrong. But I, I think in, um, in Abu Dhabi, I, I demonstrated to a, a number of the press, I think you were there, Mark, um, how we believed, you know, a very genuine mistake had been made in the measurement, uh, and how uh, you know how it could occur. So I felt we vindicated our position um, without spending time or money on a perhaps a bit of a wild goose chase. Pat, um, before we but before before we get into more, some more general stuff from from um, our our amazingly loyal listeners and readers, um, can I? Ron Dennis has said that um, he doesn't think anyone's ever going to beat a works team with the way that Formula One is structured at the moment, with the Ferrari and Mercedes being so powerful. Um, if that's you could true, probably beat McLaren. <laughs> you could probably beat McLaren. Yes, yes, <laughs> you a works team. Well, certainly. Yeah, I think what he, what he said was with the customer engine, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and of course. Thank you, Mark. He anyway, said it, he said it in Rom speak. Um, <laughs> what I remind him perhaps is that in 2009 he had the works Mercedes engine and he was beaten by a customer engine so not sure it's true so he may have forgotten I think he forgot that he yeah, forgot. yeah but, but I mean the, the, I suppose the wider point is may, maybe Mark has a well I mean Mark does have a view on this is that um, 
you know, are Ferrari, is the, is the might of Ferrari and Mercedes threatening to seriously undermine what we all, you know, the, the sport business we all, we all love? I mean, from the outside, it does appear, it does appear so, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> uh, if, if I would answer that, I'd say since the hybrid era has come to be and the investment made by the engine manufacturers, um, it has become, uh, that's become a differentiator in, in the frozen yeah. spec V8 era. Yeah. It hadn't, and it was purely down to teams and their yeah, aerodynamics yeah. and etc. So it's, it's now more multifaceted and uh, to combat that is, those cycles are more complex and take longer to, to go around. So um, yeah, I'd say Mercedes and Ferrari last year were the only two that had um, competitive engines and so sure. you know hopefully we can get two more competitive engines in it for next year or going forward from there it, it might start to look a bit more competitive again but um, I think the the the, the, the mistake um, made with the regulations in the hybrid era was it was not putting um, a, a price that they had to be available to and, and not stipulate that they had to supply whoever was uh, needing one you agree with that? Pat? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, is it new though? Um, yeah, we've got to remember the early 2000s when Ferrari dominated in yeah. you know, normally aspirated era. We can go back to McLaren Hondas winning 15 and 16 races. Low, yeah, um, I'm, I think it is the way of things. I mean, we have short memories. <laughs> uh, you know, at the moment, Ferrari or during 2015, Ferrari have challenged Mercedes, uh, you know, winning the second race. You know that 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 sure. surprised everyone, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Williams and Red Bull have been able, over the last two years, to snap at their heels. Yeah. Um, no, it's not the end of the world yet. No, 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 no. It's for sure not the end of the world. No. But uh, let's. Can we all have a little? Can we have a little uh, talk about the 2017 regulations? Um, is this the right way to be going, Pat? Surely, surely not. Do you know where it's going? Well, I don't know that I don't know the precise te technicalities of it, but I know that I know that the, 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 the idea is to make the cars a lot faster. Um, With a bigger front wing. Sorry, with a big front wing. A bigger front wing, um, maybe a bit louder. That's probably that would be quite a nice thing. Yeah, um, but overwhelmingly they're talking about more downforce. Yeah, I mean, I suppose my question is, and is this going to make Formula One better or worse, more exciting or not? Yeah, the, th the thing with a podcast as opposed to your monthly magazine is we can get right up to date. Oh, good, because so <laughs> clearly I'm not. Uh, today there's a TRM going on, technical regulation meeting. Right. So I parked my car around the corner, and as I walked to meet you, I uh, took my messages from the, uh, our chief designer who's attending that meeting, and uh, it's totally different to what it was yesterday. Oh. So um, oh. there's a <laughs> well, do tell. So we can be quite up to date with these <laughs> things. So uh, the mood of the meeting today is that um, Pirelli have have said that with the sort of loads that. Um, the cars will be capable of producing if we stick to the aerodynamic rules that the strategy group have asked us to develop 
that their tyres won't be able to handle it unless they make them much, uh, let's say, more resilient uh, and therefore slower and therefore negating a lot of what was done. So now there's a bit of a backtrack today to uh, try and pull some downforce off the cars. So um, I think... Uh, What's all this? I really think... Alice so in Wonderland ought to be sitting on the strategy group. It was just something Pat said that we better not pick up on. And just uh, yeah, just that the, the, the fact that yeah we try and make the cars faster oh, aerodynamically, yeah. and then the tire yeah. manufacturers yeah. said, well, we, we can't do that, and yeah. so we'll have to make yeah. harder tires. Therefore, yeah. Yeah. we will yeah. a second lap of whatever that we've just got through downforce. Fantastic. This is when, well, you, this this is this when is you call Michelin, isn't it? But isn't the fact that we're all <laughs> laughing about it that tells? Doesn't that tell us? Hang on, we may have a new regulation. <laughs> <laughs> new regulation. More downforce. More downforce. <laughs> No new. I uh, know. We thought we had a new regulation coming through there. Um, no, but the fact that we're all sort of laughing, oblique sniggering about it, does tell you something, doesn't it? I mean, you know that that, that um, it's all too complicated. It's it, doesn't it need simplifying some of this, Pat? Um, I mean, haven't we? I'm not convinced it's complicated. What what? What do we mean by complicated? What well, we've got to do is we've got to make sure that for the spectator, for the fan, yes. things are simple. Yes. It doesn't matter the, the levels of complexity below that that the engineers and the teams have to deal with. I don't think matters a lot. It comes down to a cost thing, of sure. course. You know That, that does come but into it. the spectacle it. does matter. But the, the important thing is that we have something nice and simple that the, the, the spectators can understand. I think it needs to be... A, a reasonably genuine competition uh, and I I add the word reasonably because I think unfortunately if you make it a pure competition you, you will get the dominance that can damage the, the sport um, and so although I know Nigel is a, hates DRS with a, with a huge intensity they, those sort of things I think actually can, uh, can improve the racing and uh, yeah, we've had some very dull racing without Well, but it would also improve the racing. They simply made the cars to a specification where they're allowed to overtake, where they could overtake without DRS. Yeah, and I think I do agree with that. And it's why, to be honest, the 2017 regulations as they stood, I don't think were, were very strategic. Uh, you know, the, the, the trouble is that we get um, we get this sort of decree there's a bit of a unilateral decree that what we need to do is make the cars faster and then everything will be fine and we have to go and do it and I cannot understand where the logic comes from that puts us there because suddenly someone and I think it's just one person decides that if we make the cars five seconds a lap quicker everything will be fixed everything will be great no, it won't. but we actually the same run, thing, but faster. Yeah, we, we run between, yeah, when we do our sort of low fuel runs at the beginning of P2 on Friday, between our, and then going into our, our high fuel runs, yeah, we got a difference four or five seconds. Can any of you, you know, if I, if I blindfolded you and no. pushed you out no. by the side of the track without you knowing it, whether it was the beginning of P2 or the end of P2, you wouldn't have a clue no. which it was. Five seconds a lap is meaningless. It, 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 it's absolutely nothing to do with it. And this idea that uh, I think one of the things that led to it was Max Verstappen and 
this sort of thought that how can someone who's 17 years old come and drive a Formula One car? Well, why the hell can't he? Yeah. I, I'd look the other way and say, why have we got people in their late 30s driving <laughs> yes. Formula One cars? You know, they, they should be gone by then. It should be a young person's sport. Um, yeah, yeah, no. What, what, what's the age of a professional footballer? You know, it goes into sure. his 30s and he stops. Uh, and a lot of them starting as teenagers. If you said that in 1950, Fangio would never have had a career. And he was in his late 30s when he arrived. Yeah, but I don't no, think no, that no, destroys no. my argument at all. No, you know, no, we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to appeal to the kids amongst yeah. all the other things. And you know, I mean, someone who's driving racing cars while they're in their late 30s, the kids think that they're grandfathers, you know. They, they, they want <laughs> yeah, to associate with it's not only the kids who matter. It's not only the kids who matter, that, that, but, it, I mean but, that, you've got but to I tell you what, too. when we're long dead and gone, those kids do matter because but, they are the ones who replace us. What also matters is that whatever your view of Verstappen is, uh, he's very exciting to watch, and that does matter because it should be very exciting to watch. That's, that's I, I agree, and I, and I think that's one of the... the advantages of youth isn't it that you're a little bit impetuous and uh, uh, and that's a good thing when it comes to, to sporting endeavor um okay uh sorry i just <laughs> i just wanted to throw this in quickly last time you were here on the motorsport magazine podcast pat you said that williams wasn't ready for fernando alonso so are you now what you said was not next year. Mm, a year after. Maybe. I know that. I, Mark knows me very well, and he knows how much I do my homework. So, uh, driving down here today, I, I listened to your season preview podcast, so that I'd know what you were going to talk about. And of course, that was one of the things that came up. Uh, I did say that. Uh, I would still say that, but now I would add that McLaren aren't ready for Fernando Alonso either. Well. Not yet. Now, now you. Which is what I said about Williams. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, are we get, are we getting some new regs through on the phone? No, here? no, no. Uh, I'm just okay. uh, just teeing something up that I found quite okay. amusing the other day. That ah right. Well, okay. I will share with you later on. Okay, okay, okay. Um, let's talk. Let's talk very briefly about McLaren Honda because it's one of the stories of the year, obviously. Um, Mark. Uh, you were quite pessimistic, actually, mid-year about them. How, do, how are you feeling now? And also, can I ask you, Mark, is it, isn't it bonkers that the regulations prevent uh, them improving the engine enough to get to the front of the grid? Then we'd all have a better race and we'd all see two world champions at the front not trailing around with the manners. And I, I, I don't think they are prevented by the regulations okay. as, as they were implemented last year and I think, correct me if I'm wrong Pat, they will be implemented this year as well, whereby you can um, have development during the, the season. But um, then don't you get penalties? Uh, no, no the, the penalties are for something else. They, the, as they sorry, stand, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but this shows that it's too damn complicated. Absolutely, yeah. it? Well, it, it yeah. might be that, or it might show that I'm completely off the case. But anyway, no. When, I, I thought that when, when you, you when you referred to me being pessimistic earlier in the, this year, it was when the regulations were about to revert to the original with 2014, whereby nothing could be done during the season, 
And at that stage, the word from the Honda engineers to the McLaren engineers was, we're not going to get this new engine ready in time for, for the yeah, February 28th yeah, deadline, yeah, yeah. in which case they were going to have an awful 2016, just as bad as 15. Um, now, as they are about to be interpreted, I don't think that that limitation is no longer there. You're not allowed to develop in season. Um, you, you still have the, 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 the penalty system, but it's, it's not, it doesn't freeze your engine for the season. Um, there's the, there's a, a, an ever sort of tightening noose around your neck as the, the years go by, but it, there's, there's plenty of uh, scope for development still before that becomes a limitation. But Pat, what I don't understand here, forgive me, is <laughs> I don't get why these regulations exist because surely part of motor racing is to develop your car and make it it was for reasons okay, of so cost so but but the cost is out of control anyway isn't it no <laughs> but that's not you know that's All not right. an excuse for making it worse <laughs> <laughs> that's the most no. ridiculous well, argument i've heard <laughs> yes i well no <laughs> well yes no, but but we, uh, we, but we have a, a murder rate in in <laughs> london okay. then but well a, you know it's no, got really a, bad so let's let's forget about making it illegal okay, okay well we'll have to edit <laughs> out, we'll, we'll have to edit out my worst stupidity but, but listen but the thing the thing is what i meant was that, that as a percentage of the whole cost, it, it makes a real difference to prevent people from developing, does it? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it does. And, and you know, you, you, can't, um, you can't isolate the, the power unit and say, well, because Renault and Honda haven't made a decent power unit, let's allow them to catch up. Right. Yeah. My car doesn't have as much downforce as a Mercedes, so why don't you give me more wind tunnel time? You know, it's exactly okay. the same argument. You cannot be selective because okay. someone's cocked up. Okay, so what you're saying is... I if think that in the past there have been times when, um, if memory serves, when Renault were allowed to catch up, weren't they? In the On Red the power Bull. unit. In yeah. The Red, yes. yeah, there was. Yeah. So there are anomalies yeah. along the way. Yeah. Well, why, doesn't, why doesn't someone who, who's uh, more less stupid ask, come up with a question now <laughs> I, I'm going to take a little break okay and because I think I, th I think maybe 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 I'm more formula Ford than I am <laughs> your part you, um, you I think uh, you were saying that the uh, 2016 Williams is going to be uh, a different concept from the the last two cars um, first of all is that is, is that the case and is there a limitation with the 37 that you couldn't surpass yeah i mean it's it's quite hard to answer these questions with you know what you consider evolutionary what you consider revolutionary i don't think when you see the car you'll go crikey you know that looks unlike anything i've ever seen before uh, but in our world yeah we we've made some reasonably significant changes uh, i have to say some of the the more revolutionary things that we tried during the development of this car haven't worked and we've we've had to revert to something a little bit more um, conventional uh, but at the same time you know in, in in the world of a designer yes it's quite a quite a different car but uh, I'm afraid it's not one where you're going to look at it and say ah you know that that doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before but can I just ask you were talking earlier about keeping things simple for the spectators and keeping them entertained. 
do you think they've had a fair deal in 2015? And I asked that because when I was working in the paddock full time, even a race that was on the surface, not necessarily particularly close yeah. thought, I'd always find, I'd go through the race history chart and I'd look at various strategies and I'd, I'd always find a point of interest to me, certainly. This year, even though I'm at a distance most of the time, I still look at race history charts out of interest. And I have struggled quite often this year to find, you know, any points of interest. I just wondered yeah, I, how, I, how it to you from the pitbull. I, I think I agree with you. I, I think 14 was actually a really good year. Oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, because yeah. even though we had that domination of the Mercedes, there was some damn good racing between the Mercedes. There was, you know, three wins for Red Bull. There, there was, um, you know, Williams getting there and, and things like that. There were, there were lots of points of interest. Now, this year, okay, we've had the wins for Ferrari a, a, as well, but we haven't had that that fight with the Mercedes. You know, we, we've had this thing that, that absolutely bewilders me where, where Lewis sort of dominates uh, until he wins the championship and then... Then he crashes Nico, his road car in Monaco and falls asleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nico sort of wakes up after that. And that you know, I think we all... We all think we understand a lot about motorsport. When we see things like that, I wonder whether we really do. You know, can, who can explain that? Well, I think that's a, this 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 bit I find really interesting because it's about the people, not the cars. And doesn't it just show you that even guys at that level, I mean, they're just they're just human beings. And 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 Lewis, you know, job done, exhausted got everything he wanted ticked everything off on the stat sheet and and that that's a few tenths isn't it don't you think and and all Pat, it needed Pat, could you imagine Vettel or Alonso being like that well yes I can because I don't think that I I, I actually think you're quite right I think that, that that is what's happened but I would guarantee that Lewis would he'd be appalled at that suggestion because he really would not believe it no. And, and I think it's something that happens in your subconscious. Yeah, we, we were talking earlier about Felipe, you know. Yeah. Did Felipe get into a Williams and find it suited him better or anything like that? I don't think so. I, I think it was much more the, the mental state. Yeah. And, you know, the, these elite sportsmen, they, they are... Their, their self-esteem is really important in, in their performance. And I think, you know, you can... Unconsciously, that self-esteem can go up and down. It... it once it starts to go down, it sort of spirals, and, sure. and equally, when it goes up, you know, how, how often have we seen a guy who struggles to win his first race, and then when he's won his first race, bang, he's off, and yeah. he's winning race after race, and, yeah. and again, it's part of this, I call it self-esteem, maybe it's more to do with confidence and things like that, well, but it is definitely a human factor. I think it's also that, that movement for saying, I, I know I can do this, I've done it, so now I really know I can do it, and, and it's interesting to me that Somebody like, you know, a competitive guy like Nico. Well, they're all competitive, I know, but as soon as he sniffs a slight, you know, the very macro chink in Lewis's armour, he's on it, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And Nigel, you, you mentioned Fernando, but you see, I think that, that, that's something well, that I've found. Or, or Vatalite. Yeah. I would have thought winning the championship wouldn't, they would still want to win the remaining races just as much, mm. those two. Yeah, but but, but I do, I've, I worked with Fernando for many years, and I did find, you know, the, the guy. It's no doubt he's a superb driver. You know, he he really can find something in a car. But if there's a prospect of success, then he finds a little bit more, and he would 
he could drive much harder, more aggressively, faster for a podium position than an equal fight for six positions. Yeah, yeah, there were times in 2008 and nine, the second time round at Renault when the car wasn't that good, where Fernando didn't stand out from any number no, of other guys. That's true. That's right. And then right. in Japan, when he, he won there, you know, he bang, yeah. he was on it. Yeah. Sure. But I think part of the fascination, Rob, you talk about human and um, not cars, it, it, for me the fascination is, is that it's both and how they interact. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think it's coincidence that Hamilton, as, as the title became a formality, as that came onto the horizon, I, don't, I think it, what was going on at the same time was the Pirelli stipulation about the tyres um, and the impact that had on the Mercedes in terms of the setup that it could run. Um, and I think Nico understood the implications of that change in setup and worked a lot harder at understanding the, implica the implications of it than Lewis did. Um, you know, probably Lewis had other commitments, um, you know, not, not just going to parties. I mean, you know, as, as, a, world, as a world champion, there's probably more uh, commitments he, he was penciled in for than Nico. Um, so maybe that played its part as well, if, if we're being charitable. Um, but I, I, I don't think it was purely just uh, a driver thing, although I think it was partly that. I think there was also a technical um, element to it. Can someone explain that to me then? What happened that Nico got a handle on better than Lewis did? I didn't. I never. I don't quite understand that that tiny change in the the tire pressures. Concert, Pat, can you what, what, what effect? Is well, that? is it an effect at all? I think this is this is what I'm getting at. That you know, Lewis believes that something changed on the car in the latter part of the year. Now. I suspect that the Mercedes engineers are scratching their head wondering mm. about that. Mm. It yeah. is true, of course, you know, from Monza we did have to run with different tyre pressure prescriptions and they will have altered the car, but to the point where it no, totally no, swings it, I, I find it hard to believe. And that's what I was alluding to earlier when I said, yeah, we all think we're clever and we think we understand yeah. these things, but I'm really not sure we always do. But then we, you know, we saw um, Mercedes in Singapore you know, the car which had dominated for the previous two years was suddenly a second off the pace. It was sort of a net swing of two seconds. Um, that which was the, they, they say, they put that down to was running in completely the wrong window for the new tyre pressures. Um, yeah, and, 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 and there will be something in that yeah. for sure. Um, Pat, can we have a question from Eric Blaise. And Eric wants to you to talk to him about your pit stops because he suggests that Williams's pit stops are not always as good as its competitors. Would, would, would well, you? Well, Eric, uh, uh, it's very nice you said it that politely because they really <laughs> have been appalling. <laughs> well, actually, he didn't. I did. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Man. Yeah, no, I, I've, our pit stops this year really have been—they've uh, been a horror story. Uh, we, we've had a, a problem. Um, once the car's running, the wheel nut, nuts just tighten up and when we come into the pit stop we're losing a really significant amount of time with the, the guns just hammering away trying to get these tight nuts off. Now you, you'd sort of think well that can't be that difficult to solve. Uh, boy it's taken us a little while to do it. We got uh, we got pretty well on top of it towards the end of the season and our, our average over the last three races which consisted if I remember rightly of 14 pit stops um, did get us back into the top three, but but 
still at, at risk because when one of these does go tight, we have a totally uh, awful pit stop again. So um, we we have completely de- redesigned the hub system for for next year. And uh, in the testing we've been, the factory based testing we've been doing, I think we've got on top of it. So. Uh, I really hope we have. I don't want to be answering that question again next no, year. No, no, I'm, sure, I'm quite sure you don't. No. Well, thanks for the question, Eric. He described them as painfully slow, just, uh, for, yeah, just for the Eric, record. you're just, there. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, uh, sorry, Ian Bilby uh, would like to know, Pat, um, uh, do you guys in F1 get any sort of home life with so many races on the calendar these days? Um, do you have any interests... Any activities, leisure outside Formula One anymore? Yeah, it, it really is hard. You know, the season is is very, very long. Um, more and more flyaway races, which you know, by by definition, take more time out of uh, out of your home life, etc. I'm I'm quite lucky. I don't go to every race because you know there's a lot to do at the factory. But that doesn't mean that I I, uh, I work any less. It just means that yeah, no, you yes. don't have all the travel and stuff. Um, and it's interesting that you know when when I was younger and getting involved with Formula One, people actually they, they loved the travel side of it. You know, it really was it was part of the attraction. Uh, these days, I find it more and more difficult. Um, you know, particularly as people get into their sort of late thirties and they have families. It was a very different world championship back then, Pat. It, it was, yeah. It, it wasn't... Uh, I mean, when you were away, you worked a hell of a lot harder than you, you do now. You know, working all night was was common. We, we don't have those sort of antisocial sides of it, no. but the number of races we do, yeah, the yeah. amount of travelling we do, I, I think it becomes really hard for the guys who've got young families. Um, and, yeah, it, it's tough. Okay. Um, we must take some more of our, our, our questions here because uh, otherwise there's no point in all these guys sending them in. Um, Santiago Upegi, I think that's right, says, is there a reason that ground effects are not a bigger topic of discussion for improving racing after 2016? Um, Improving racing. I mean, they're, they're a very efficient way of getting downforce. That's for sure. I think it's kind of, if I just interrupt very quickly, I think when people talk about improving racing, and they talk, and uh, you know, you've picked, you've you've landed on some of these generalizations quite rightly. I think I think the undercurrent here is people saying, you know, they 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 want more drama, more excitement on the track. Come and sit in my seat then. <laughs> <laughs> I have quite enough drama. Um, I think. That Santiago, that um, I think actually he's asked a question before of one of our podcasts. I believe so. But um, oh. I think that uh, I think that there's a what may well be a misconception that ground effect cars are not affected by the wake of the the car in front. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence that that's the case, and the. The little bit of work that's been done on this, um, and I'm going back now to the overtaking working group of 2008 uh-huh. the, that I was a member of, yeah. perhaps showed the opposite. Um, now, I, I won't say it was the best bit of science I've ever done in my life, but the work that we did 
did suggest that actually uh, any downforce that was generated by the body was actually more affected by the wake of the car in front. So I think it's a bit of a misconception that ground effect is the, uh, the answer to, to everything in terms of better racing. For sure, it gives you much more efficient aerodynamics, no doubt about it. Lift to drag ratios are way beyond anything you can do with wings, but not necessarily something that I think will lead to um, better racing. Okay. Well, don't bother asking that for a third time, Santiago, because... <laughs> no, 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 it was a different question last time, I'm sure. Maybe it's a different person. Okay, guys, can it... I'm interested you say that, Pat, because what sundry drivers have said over time is that they, they're, when they're following a car in the ground effect era, it was less disturbed uh, than in an era when all the downforce is coming from, uh, from, I from I wings. I don't know that there's any driver who'd know that. I, well, just from you feel, know. I guess, they just sort of felt that the car was yeah, but following but another, who, who's in a ground effect era was washed out less than it does now. So the, the, the only people who may know that are drivers who drove in... In 83, we, we moved away from yeah. ground effect. But, boy, we have primitive aerodynamics then. Really primitive. Yeah, that's no, true. They're, they're so much more sophisticated now. You know, in 83, and I mean, I remember it well, yeah, the, the Tolman... Uh, the 83 Tolman was an incredibly quick car. Um, first flat bottom car, fastest at Rio in testing, etc., uh, etc. Et um, but gosh, it was unsophisticated. There were vortices all over the world coming from that thing, you know. It's a, whereas now we try and control them a little swirly, bit more. Swirly, swirly. <laughs> okay, here, 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 here's a fastball for you. Uh, Ray Tanvir says. Do you think Williams could have won a Grand Prix or two over the last two seasons if you had a top driver? Okay, right. Um, what? Sorry, I think that. I'm going to answer the question, but first I would say that, you know, I, I'm immensely proud of what we've done at Williams. It, it, it's been one of the highlights of my career, you know, that, being involved with with getting that team up to third place twice in a row because doing it doing it for a second time I think shows that sure. there's no luck in it you know it's it's good solid quality sure. um, so I'm immensely proud of that and I, and I have to say I've enjoyed it as much as winning the the world championships that I've been involved with but in doing it I have this overriding regret that we haven't won a race in the last yes. two years and it, it, you know it really it really gets at me um, so. Uh, you know, the, the, the first answer to the question is, whoa, I wish we had won the race. Um, but I do think that given the, the opportunities, and, and I mean by that the car, the team, the operation, the whole thing, I, I don't see why our guy shouldn't win a race. You know, Felipe has won races, he knows how to win races. Valtteri will win, win races, believe me. So I don't think that it's that that has stopped us. You know, uh, uh, a few points more downforce, a few kilowatts of engine power, uh, and quicker pit stops, <laughs> and uh, there, maybe yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. <coughs> Pat, do you think that uh, maybe less on the driver, and more on perhaps strategy at Silverstone this year? I mean, there are times in the past when one team with its two cars running at the front might have imposed on driver. I mean, say Valtteri notionally being quicker said to Felipe, right, your job, you're the, you're the jammer car, let Valtteri go, we're going to try and get into it. I mean, do you think that race was winnable if you'd employed that kind of self, selfish strategy or, or sacrificing one driver for the no. sake of the other? 
No, I don't. No, no. Um, you know, Silverstone's been analysed to hell by the whole world uh, and <laughs> twice as much by everyone at Grove. So, uh, <laughs> uh, firstly, it is our philosophy and it always will be our philosophy that we're going to let the guys race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, secondly, particularly at that stage of the season, what it's all about is Constructors' Championship. You know, we, we're not a rich team, we need to earn that money. We need to protect our, our position because you could ask the same question. In fact, I believe we did talk about this before with uh, Austria in 2014. Uh, and I explained then that um, Alonso got so close to us in that race that if we had done anything brave, we'd have lost a position. There's no doubt about it. Uh, at Silverstone, slightly different situation. And of course, we're only talking about the first part of the race before the, the rain started, where yeah, Val Valtteri is sort of saying, well, look, I'm quicker than him, let me pass. Well, A, that's not the way we, we, we operate. And B, what evidence do you have? Every driver who's following another driver thinks they're quicker than them because they, they don't have the, the concept of distance, speed and time. What, what they do is they close up on the brakes and they say, oh, I haven't got such good traction. And, you know, they, they just say, I'm quicker. I know I can go quicker. It's easy. It's, it's not quite like that. Equally, if we had tried to swap them over with the uh, you know Mercedes were, were right on our exhaust pipes I'm quite sure if we tried to do something a bit too clever we had a chance of losing position to them um, so I, I don't think it was that you know we let's face it we got into that position because Mercedes made poor starts they still had a quicker card than us they qualified in front of us they were lapping quicker than us in the dry part of the race they had a quicker car and you know that's a pretty good way to win races to have a quick car that's yes. <laughs> that's what we all try and do uh, of course ultimately we, we got the rain and uh, you know that absolutely destroyed our, our race anyway but uh, I do think um, and, you know, I don't know all the answers I say we we've analyzed it over and over again we have but one never knows until it's actually happened, but, but my belief is that it wouldn't have made any difference to the outcome of the first part of the race, forgetting about what happened once the rain started. I remember a few races back when you were running Fernando in the Michelin days uh, against Ross and the Bridgestone Ferrari, and they would run... Tip that I seem to recall the Bridgestones were quite delicate on full tanks. You couldn't hammer them on full tanks, and they would use Rubens to keep Fernando off Michael's back while Michael got the tyres into good shape and then sprinted off. That, I mean, that was, that's something that you, 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 you wouldn't sort of envisage doing. It, no, it, I mean, that, that we certainly used to race like that when we had, a, um, you know, in those days you're talking of, in the Renault days, it, it, it was a little bit of a sort of a one-car team, as Ferrari was, and I think both of us were just racing one car against another car, we were we we, you know, we would we would use those sort of tactics for sure. Um, at, at Williams, we don't race like that. I'm not saying we never will, but at the moment, our rules of engagement and we have written rules of engagement, so you know we don't have these sort of discussions uh, and arguments afterwards. So beginning of every season I write the rules of engagement that everyone signs up to and that's how we go racing and at the moment those those are that we will race each other as hard as we'll race anyone else. I'd, li I'd like to ask you a question about um, Frank Williams actually. 
because uh, uh, so many fans around the world love the Williams team and a big reason for that is Frank in my opinion um, what an amazing man uh, give us give us some sort of insight into he comes to quite a few races doesn't he and, and to, how involved does he get Pat um, well I, I, Frank's Frank is a fabulous person Frank is at the factory at Grove every single day of the week um, you can go to his office anytime you want. Always got time for you. Uh, in fact, always wants to. Always welcomes you because he, he, you know, he just loves chatting about racing. What, right? Like when are we going to win? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does ask me that occasionally. But yeah, you know, Frank, Frank doesn't take that sort of final executive role. Of, co- of course not. You know, the, these days. Um, but he still has a, a sort of strategic role. You know, he still talk. He knows where he wants the team to go. He knows what he wants the business to do, uh, and he communicates that, and that is essentially what we work to. And everyone at Grove has this very uh, in awe of Frank, you know, the, the, and what he's done, uh, and everyone works for Frank. You know, it, it, it's just so nice that, that you know, the, the, the name above the door is the guy sitting in the office in the top corner. You know, that, that, that means something. So many people, when Enso was alive, used to say at the back of their heads, there was always the thought, essentially, you know, I'm racing for Enso. In my experience, I would say Frank is probably the only other person of whom that, that, that could be said. Yeah, I, I... Remember Clay talking about it, for instance, yeah, I, back in 1979? I, I think you're right. And, and, you know, a lot of people in Formula One are quite transient. Um... Frank's anything but transient, isn't he? He's, he's been there forever, and people mm. respect that. Um, a- and at his heart is motor racing. Yeah, he has, there's nothing else matters. You know, we, we have a, a very successful advanced engineering division at Grove yeah. that do some fabulous projects. But yeah, Frank's interested in them as a business, but, sure. but, but really, how much yeah, money yeah. can they generate to pay for the Formula One team? <laughs> his racing is in his heart. Well, you, you're, you're going to be you're going to be very involved in the Jaguar Formula E car, aren't you, at Grove? This is this is the, the, the latest uh, development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Williams Advanced Engineering are, are, are really world leaders in a lot of the electric vehicle technology. They, as I'm sure a lot of people know, they supply all the batteries to uh, uh, to Formula E. They've done uh, electric vehicles for you know people as as prestigious as Aston Martin and. Uh, uh, and the the electric evoke and things like that, um, but with with the the Jaguar Formula E project, which is being done in in advanced engineering, uh, it goes a bit further because they'll be doing the whole powertrain for that car and indeed racing it as well. Yeah. Okay. You said you had something on your telephone that you wanted to share with uh, us. I, I, was so going to do, I was going to do it if the opportunity came up. Well, the opportunity is here, right? Is it the Concord Agreement? I haven't no, seen the Concord no, Agreement yet. Is it that? Is, I completely, you know, I, um, some of my bedtime reading, of course, is the rules and regulations of Formula One. And the other day, <laughs> I happened to come across this, which is See you the, off nicely, I in think the statutes of, of the FIA. Uh, and it amused me because it, it says potential candidates to stand for election to the position of president, deputy presidents, vice presidents, presidents, members of the Senate, members of the World Councils, and members of the Ethics Committee must be under 75 years of age on the day of the election or of re-election. I, I just found that amusing, I don't know why. 
I think it actually I think it's very indicative of a certain kind of bureaucracy, isn't it? A certain... It didn't say anything about age limits for commercial rights holders anywhere. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Uh, while we're on the subject of age, um, can we talk about some of the young drivers of 2015? Because I think they've been, a, I think Mark, even Mark might agree with me, uh, they've been a talking point, um, certainly been exciting to watch. Uh, who's impressed you, Pat? Well, um, the obvious answer is Max Verstappen. Uh, I think he's impressed everyone. But I have to say, Carlos Sainz as well uh, and um, funny thing with Carlos Sainz because his dad is one of my heroes yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I think rally drivers are just uh, out of this world mm. uh, and I, I was really quite thrilled um, probably about this time last year maybe a little bit earlier when I don't know what the plural of Carlos is is it Carl I came to, to, oh, came to see us <laughs> senior and junior um, to, to see what prospects there were at, at Williams. And uh, firstly, I, I thought that Carlos Jr. was just a, uh, a really nice guy, you know, really down to earth, very well brought up, you know, everything about him was good. And I, I've almost felt a little bit sorry for him this year because I think he's been overshadowed. I actually think there's a hell of a lot of quality there. But Max is definitely something special uh, and taking the focus away a little bit. But you say that, but I mean, look at, look at Science's opening lap at, um, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Jesus, uh, you know, yes, I mean, absolutely. Gilles would have been proud I, of that. I really, yeah, think, I really think the guy is good. And uh, and f sorry, first time at Suzuka, it was wet. And most people just crash in those circumstances as, as novices. He went P1, second faster than Verstappen. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's some quality there, and I think yeah, the focus has been on Max, um, but I think we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget Carlos no, is pretty good. Well, it's yeah. interesting, actually, if they had both been 20, perhaps it would have been a little more, you know, even-handed in terms of the, the sort of hoopla and publicity and what they had. over the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. God, there's no future for us then, Pat, I tell you. <laughs> we anyway, I, I think the other one, just, just one of the things that I, I, I really enjoyed, yeah, one of the, the high points of the year, was to, to see Sauber and, and Felipe mm. Nasser in, in Australia. You know, Sauber had had that terrible dry period in mm. 2014. Uh, I was so pleased to see them get points in Australia. Felipe of course, I've been Williams test driver the year before. I think he's a really nice guy as well, and I was so pleased to see see the points come there. Uh, it was a fabulous start for him. It, it faded after that a little bit, unfortunately. But yeah. um, is that money? I, I honestly that don't know. But he, he uh, had a he had a terrific race in Russia, actually. Um, yeah. But I think he had a little. They teamed him up with a rookie engineer as well, so I think as there's a certain extent that they, they they got lost, they got sidetracked, and then they came back again. Um, but I think when everything's working well for Felipe, I think he's he's terrific, um, and I think there's a lot of quality there. Uh, people maybe don't. It's not obvious because of the the results and the level of the car, but I think I think the peaks are more indicative of his potential than the the average. Let's say. Talking okay. of young drivers, Williams has got Alex Lynn, young Brit on its books. What have you, what have you made of what, from what have you seen of him so far? 
Yeah, he's had a, a bit of a mixed season in, in GP2. Uh, some good results, uh, a few mistakes. Um, there's nothing wrong with a young driver making mistakes. That's how you learn. Um, GP2 is a strange formula. You know, it's very difficult to impress in the first year. Um, second year is the one that counts. And, of course, so often, uh, not this year, but so often the... The, the winners have, have sort of come in their third or, or even more years in GP2. So I, I think Alex, um, I, I would class that as a good first year in GP2, but uh, next year is probably one that counts. Okay, can we, can we just very briefly um, look ahead? Because it's not long. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Pat looks tired already. Anyway, um, but next year, what, what can we expect, you guys, all of you guys? Um, I mean, can we expect McLaren to be up at the front? What sort of, what's your, how do you think next year is going to go, Pat? Yeah, when you asked me down here today for the preview, I, I thought to myself, oh, sorry, for the review of yeah. 2015, I thought, well, I'd much rather do that than the preview because all you do is make an ass of yourself, don't yes, you? I you know, right. <laughs> yes, I know, but I specialise in that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to see next? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, honestly, um, I, I think that um, quite a few of the things that happened this year were not expected. Um, I think Ferrari's resurgence this year, of course I expected them to come back, but it was stronger than I thought. I was very surprised at Red Bull falling away the way they did. I yeah. didn't think that McLaren Honda was going to be that strong, but they were much weaker than I than I thought. So, you know, my, my record of predicting <laughs> uh, future Formula One seasons is about the same as my predicting of lottery numbers. I'm not very good okay. at it, to be honest. But uh, honestly... We, we are going to see Ferrari get closer. I'm sure of that. I, I really hope and I'm really pushing to get Williams closer. Yeah. But it's a long way to go. You know, our, our, over the year, on average, in qualifying and racing, Williams to Mercedes has been about 0.94 of a percent in racing that we've been off their pace and just over 1% in qualifying. That's a lot to, to close up. We've got to work hard at it. How much do you think it would be if you had the same engines? Uh, the, I think the engine that, um, that the works cars had from Monza onwards was quite a, a nice little step for them, as indeed the Ferrari was. Um, you know, they, 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 yes, they're, they're stopwatch measurable. Okay, can we go around the, around the table, um, just our highlights and low points of another Grand Prix season? And I mean, Mark, we must start with you because you're there, every one. Yeah, um, for me, it was actually just as in 2014, it was Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, it, remarkably similar, those two races, the Hungarian at 14 and 15 um, the way that they panned out and you had four cars in the closing stages all all in contention for victory um, just an absolute thriller of a race um, on both occasions that was the best race um, probably the most thrilling maneuver I think was Max Verstappen going around the outside of Philippe Nasser and Blanchemont at 190 miles an hour 
Um, that yeah, that that was pretty thrilling. You still wonder if that was deliberate, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> when you see it time and time again. Yeah. Well, he committed, so he might as well go through is with that, it. Is yeah. that something you do by mistake? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway, uh, Simon, 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 uh, cast your mind back over the year. Good points, bad points. I was pleased to see Sebastian Vettel do as well as he did yeah. at Ferrari because I've I've always I've always rated him as being far more than a one-trick pony that can drive, you know, Adrian Newey trick downforce cars. Um, we saw that in his Toro Rosso days, and to see him just kind of get getting get his mojo back, um, pretty much. I mean, he, he was on the podium more often than not. Had he, had his three wins. Uh, that, that for me, that, that, that for me was just on a personal level, was very gratifying. The um, Hungarian Grand Prix I only saw in highlights because I was watching a classic motorbike festival at Cadwell Park of that day. You were, yeah. Yeah, obviously, surprised you were in the Park testing. I wish I had been. That was that was the Wednesday afterwards. Um, yeah, I think for me, for me, the, I mean, obviously we've, we've talked about Max a lot, and the thing that I liked about Max is the it's not just the fact he pulls off the passing manoeuvres from half a mile back, but he does it he does it with such control i mean there are no lock brakes uh, you know he's not squirreling sideways nearly forcing the other guy off the track it's 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 hard but it's clean and i think that 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 has been fantastically impressive mr Robert. i think i think for me it was it was singapore i mean it's a terrible racetrack in terms of racing it's almost it's not much better than monaco in fairness um it's got a good zoo in singapore <laughs> that's good <laughs> yes. if that helps and it's as much an endurance test as, you know, as a race in many ways. But it just delighted me there to see Mercedes flat beaten. Not because of circumstance, not because this went wrong or that happened or, you know, there was a problem with some strategic mistake or whatever. They were just flat beaten. And, it, and I think after the two years we've had, I mean, it was just a delight to see that that could still happen. Um, and, I mean, you know... The way Vettel won it reminded you of the way he won it in a, in a Red Bull with it was very blown diffuser yeah, and everything yeah, else, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think, I guess a high point was Vettel winning race two and that, that sort of hope that we were going to get a really, <laughs> uh, a really tight season. And arguably the low point was Vettel winning race two and not race three and race four, <laughs> etc. But the other low point to me, a bit of a personal one, and I will take my Williams hat off, but I was very sorry to see John Booth and Graham Loudon leaving Formula One. They're two guys yeah. I've worked with, I have massive respect for. I think they're the real racers that I think Formula One needs. They're not the sort of corporate bodies. They're just people who just like to go racing and, you know, survived against all the odds. And uh, uh, I will certainly miss them in the paddock next year. Um, Pat? Seeing as you are the, the, the chief egghead of all the Grove eggheads, um, I, think it would be, I think it would be great for motorsport readers and listeners for you to tell us as much as you can uh, about your new car for 2016. The reason I want to hear this is because it would be nice when we see it roll onto the grid in Melbourne in a few weeks' time, uh, we'll have a little sneak preview. So, I mean, Ferrari and Mercedes are not listening. I happen to know that. 
So what's its lift to drag numbers? Okay, well... In the wheelbase? No, yeah, no, no, that's, 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 what, that's what I meant, Mark. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what I meant when I asked the question. <laughs> I mean, to start off, it, it, it's white. It, it's, got, it's, white. it's got red stripes Has and it? light blue and dark blue stripes on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah, that's, it's, that's it's a very nice car. <laughs> Could Come I, on, Pat. I mean, <laughs> what what are you? What's happening with the car f- new for 2016? I mean, uh, we're only having it, a it chat is, in the pub. Pat. You know, th- this is the last uh, the last year of the sort of current regulations. E- even if we don't know exactly which, where 2017 is going, we we're pretty sure it's not an evolution of of 2016. So, um, uh, the 2016 car, the last of that generation, we're not going to go. Uh, too wild with things. Um, there are little trends that have come along. In our case, you know, they're, they're, uh, we've probably done quite a lot of work around the, the rear aerodynamics of the car. Um, we've shortened the nose again. You know, that's no big secret. You'll see that eventually. You know, that's that makes it pretty difficult getting it through the crash test. But you know, that's where the challenges lie. Um, yeah, new hubs. New hubs, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't want another question about my pit stops next year, do I? And um, yeah, I think as I said earlier, you know, you're not going to look at it and say, "Wow, you know, that's different." But it's a it's a good solid evolution of of what we've we've done uh, through the last two years. And and you know, our development rate over the last two years has has been pretty reasonable, I think. Can I just we've just I mean we we went round the table before with the highs and lows mostly taking a slight sideways glance. Um, I think it would be appropriate to pay respect to Jules Bianchi as well. Um, the first Formula One driver to die as a result of injuries at a racetrack for 20 odd years. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a good kid. He was a good kid with a lot of potential and um, yeah. he, he will be missed. The other side of the sport that we all love, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, that's about it, really, for our um, look back on the 2015 Formula One season, unless any of you are absolutely gagging to say something else. Um, I'd really like to thank you for coming in, Pat, um, and spending an hour with us in the in the Chelsea Ram. It's, I know you're a busy man, and you've got a lot on your mind, a lot on your phone, a lot on your laptop. It's all happening, I know that. Um, so thank you very, very much, and I hope you'll have some time to come and see us next year. Yeah, of course, it's always a, a pleasure to do it, and I, I hope we just, you know, get a few things across to the to the fans of uh, what F1's about because it is a complicated sport, and I, I enjoy trying to explain it to people. Yeah, well, it needs simplifying. Absolutely, especially for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, because it's Christmas, don't sigh, Mark. Because it's Christmas, uh, I just want to go around the team. Go around the team, and uh, Pat Simmons, what what would be the best thing Santa could bring you uh, in the next few days? Thirty points of downforce. Thirty points of downforce. Okay. Yep. How exciting. <laughs> It's been top of my Christmas list for a few years now. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, let's hope you can get that into your stocking. Mr. Hughes. I'd like them to rip the regs up and start again. Oh, me too, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Aaron. Um, well, yeah, I, I concur with Mark, and I'd like just have a single sheet of A4 saying minimum weight, maximum width, height, you know, length, full stop, do anything else you like within a 
control maximum budget. budget, I hope. Yeah. Max, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maximum. Yes, absolutely. Max, maximum budget and safety. Um, that apart, I'd like a, a nice big lens that actually reaches over some of the Formula One runoff areas because trying to take photographs of Formula One circuits, some Formula One circuits nowadays, you, you need to spend about ten grand on a lens, which is you know, I can't afford. Okay. Or we could just race all, have all the rounds at Monaco or something. What about your stocking, Mr. Robot? Jesus, every all the rounds at Monaco. <laughs> Uh, For photographic purposes. No, no, I was going to guess. Yeah, all right. I was going to say. Don't make it complicated. All my nightmares coming at once. Um, I like more Melbourne. I, I, I completely agree with what the boys have said. Um, I think for next year, really, the main thing is I would like to see every top driver with the equipment to be in the thick of it. You're talking about Fernando Alonso. I'm not just talking. I'm talking about Jensen Button as well. I'm, I'm talking, and not just those two. Okay. I mean, I think Lewis has had it very easy for the last couple of years okay well when santa comes to me which he always does uh, in, an, in, a, in, a, in a few days time i want i want 31 points of downforce <laughs> for my team and uh, i want fewer penalties fewer regulations and more noise okay thank you very much you everybody. don't want formula e then <laughs> What about driverless cars? Oh, no. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, I mean, that was, it was the next logical step. There, well, there is one person, I think, race. who would yeah. love a driverless car, and that's Frank. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good way of reducing the budget, isn't it? <laughs> but you will have a little bit more noise next year. You know, the, the changes to the wastegate, there, there's a little bit there. It's not, not huge, but there's a little bit. Good. Okay. Well, I don't want them to sound like the V8s anyway. I just thought that really was white, right, white racket. They all sounded exactly the same, and yeah. and they all had no horsepower. Okay. Well, we we all love motor racing. We all do a, we all do various jobs within motor racing, and we all want great racing, don't we? Simple as that, isn't it? We just want great racing. Okay. Thank you very much, Pat Simmons, Mark Hughes, Simon Aaron, Nigel Robrak, uh, Ed Foster, our web editor who puts all this together for us, types out all the scripts, the questions. Nice big print for me because I can't see properly. And to Alan Hyde, who records it all for us, goes home, edits it, never makes any mistakes. Fantastic. You want, it, you want him on your team. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great Christmas. See you in 2016. And thanks so much for all your support. And uh, enjoy the next Motorsport magazine. Goodbye. <laughs>